Hello, and welcome to Chutzpah. I'm your host, Adam Greenman. My days are spent as the CEO of the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island, an organization focused on building a stronger, more vibrant community here in the Ocean State. One of the joys of my job is getting to sit down with leaders throughout our Jewish community. I learn so much from the members of our community, and this podcast is an opportunity to bring our conversations and insights directly to you. Our guest today is Courtney Nicolato, the president and CEO of United Way of Rhode Island. Courtney is a Rhode Island native who grew up in Pawtucket, studied at URI, and eventually returned to serve and support the communities that formed her childhood. The ethos of inclusion and generosity that defined her childhood has carried her into the important work of United Way, which is also my alma mater of the working world. I'm thrilled to have Courtney with us on Chutzpah to discuss everything from best practices in the nonprofit world to her journey into the tribe, having been raised Catholic, and finding what Judaism means to her. As always, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. You can now give us a rating on Spotify too. And if you have a lightning round question you think we should ask our guests, or you just want to provide us with some feedback on the show, please email us at chutzpah at jewishalliancri.org. Now, I'm excited to share today's episode of Chutzpah. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, Courtney Nicolato, who's the president and CEO of United Way of Rhode Island, friend, a colleague, and just so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you, friend. It's good to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to visit with you. Excited to excited for this conversation. So why don't we dive right in? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Hmm, my non-Jewish upbringing. Sure. So yeah, so I grew up in Pawtucket. A uh, low-income kid who was taught very early on in life to be grateful for whatever you had and also to give back to the people around you. The street we lived on was a beautiful array of diversity and an incredible community and neighborhood where one looked out for the other. And so, so that was very much ingrained in who I am very early on in life. I was not Jewish, grew up, I am Irish and Portuguese. I am as, you know, what you would say, token Catholic as you can get. I went to Catholic school and then the University of Rhode Island, um, where I met this fabulous Jewish man, David, my husband, and uh, had the opportunity to learn, but not only about him, but about his culture and fell in love with the culture. And just about a couple months ago, I converted uh, to become an official member of the tribe. So, yeah. So, you know, um, my parents um, are just two of the most awesome people I know. And and it's because of what they've taught me. And and that was that my mom still says to this day, "Leave, leave the world better than you got it. And I really took that to heart in my career. Uh, and, and it was because I watched them do it. You know, I watched, there was always someone and, and always a stranger, quite honestly, at my dinner table with my family. Um, and I would ask later, who was that? He just, he needed a place to eat. Wow. Um, you know, we would go to the store not having much money on our own. And um, we would be buying clothing or whatever um, someone else might need it because they needed it at the time. That That is I, this has been ingrained in my DNA since birth um, was to get back to the community. And so my upbringing is very focused on that. 
It's incredible. I mean, just the the idea that it doesn't matter how much we have, there's this need to support others, that mm-hmm. there are always folks who have a little bit less. And so how can we help them? How can we support them? That's such a, what a wonderful way to, to grow up, to, to see that uh, every day and to get to participate in that and have that be part of your family ethos, right? Normally, I'll ask how Judaism was part of that upbringing, but as you said, you, you've become a member of the tribe late in life or later in life. And so maybe talk a little bit about uh, that journey, just how that has impacted and influenced your outlook on life, your perspective on things like leadership as you've learned more, gotten more deeply engaged in, in Judaism as a whole. You know, growing up in uh, the faith that I was in, I had a lot more questions than I had answers. So I was kind of curious uh, by the time that I met David of learning about worldly religions, learning about um, how faith defined family and culture. Those were all kind of things that I was just yearning to understand. Uh, David, we, we joked jokingly say, but David was Jew number one, really, that I had ever met. Um, and I was so so intrigued by the core function that his faith served in his family, right? And I also loved the fact that his entire family, many of them were in our faith, and there was, they were so welcoming and open uh, to that. I, I also adored the fact that the Jewish faith was so centered on social justice and remains to this day. And so I saw my values in that faith. And I saw, you know, how I, I, I am a, uh, what I call a, you know, vulnerable leader. Uh, you're going to get, and, and I know you know this, you're going to get me who I am and what I am, whether I'm standing in front of a microphone or just having coffee, you're going to get Courtney Nicolato. And so, um, you know, I loved every aspect of the faith was just made me feel more welcome, made me feel more included and stood on um, the, you know, the principles that I held so dear in my life. We have two boys, uh, Jacob and Ian, and as the boys were getting older and they were learning, I was eager to learn with them. Mm-hmm. And so there was never a push from David or his family or anybody that I would convert, um, it, but it was, I, I was found myself compelled to learn more. Like even the act of Shabbat on Friday, the first thing you do when you start your time of rest is to be together and to be in service of one another and in love of one another. And it's just like, we start by talking about peace. It's like all of this, like these just gives me warm fuzzies, right? So it was, I easily saw myself in it and watched my kids go through this process, took classes, did everything that I could to learn as much as I could. I always aspired as I was learning to just learn and grow and not put the pressure on officially converting or not converting. Um, but found myself a few years ago going, okay, I, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then just a few weeks ago, having um, the privilege of, of working with uh, Sarah uh, Rabbi Mack in uh, my conversion. And so as I think about the faith and I think about my leadership, you know, it mirrors each other in a lot of ways. Mm, that's just such a great answer in so many different ways. You talked about being compelled to learn and ask more questions. And I feel like those are 
as you're taking that personal journey, those are such great leadership qualities that I think tend to get overlooked when people talk about leadership, that notion of lifelong learning, that notion of you're, you're constantly pursuing greater knowledge, right? You're trying to learn more. So that was just great. Um, you sort of did this already, but tell us a little bit about United Way and the work you do at United Way of Rhode Island. Um, how, how do you describe it at a cocktail party? United Way is a 95-year-old organization here in the state of Rhode Island. And, um, you know, we are, I, I like to say, you know, we're very proud of being a convener in our community related to the critical issues that are facing Rhode Islanders. Um, and so uh, we have, uh, we run the 211 call center, uh, which last year took 255,000 phone calls from Rhode Islanders and focused on really what the most basic needs of Rhode Islanders are, helping pointing them in the right direction. In essence, what I call the front door to social services Mm -hmm. here in the state of Rhode Island. And then we use that information on what we hear daily from Rhode Islanders and we feed that into how we invest in our state. So we work with donors, we work with over 400 companies throughout the state of Rhode Island to help them and us um, really tackle the critical issues, which we believe is um, a huge housing crisis that we have here in the state of Rhode Island. It is supporting our kids um, with high quality educational opportunities, and that starts from the minute they can open a book. Um, and uh, also building the capacity and strength of our nonprofit community. And so uh, we are. Uh, gearing up towards our 100th anniversary, but we've just launched our five-year strategic plan called Live United 2025, focused on investing over $100 million over the next five years in Rhode Island um, to ensure that all Rhode Islanders truly have the opportunities that they need and that we help, you know, really bust the barriers uh, to create equity here in our state. So we're really proud of the work um, and the Rockstar team we have. Yeah, and those kinds of ambitious goals require really good leadership. Um, How long, tell us how long you've been uh, leading United Way. Yeah, so I've been in the nonprofit career for over 20 years at this point, but I've had the privilege of uh, leading United Way now for three years, Um, be three years in September. Chutzpah is brought to you by Jewish Roadie Media, but don't leave us lonely. If you're interested in partnering with us, we would love to feature your business, publication, event, and more in an ad spot just like this one. When you realize you showed up to a dinner party empty-handed, we're the friends saying, don't worry, this whitefish salad is from both of us now. Join the podcast potluck today to be a sponsor of Jewish Roadie Podcasts. For more information, contact Peter Zeldin at P-Z-E-L-D-I-N at jewishalliancery.org. Was leadership always something you wanted to pursue? I think since I was young, mom could probably attest, um, I've been leading things, um, uh, whether it be teams uh, growing up, whether that be uh, student council or whatever, any opportunity that I found to be able to um, strive on serving has been something that I've been yearning for. I'm not surprised that I'm in the role that I am because I, I saw, you know, looking back, it was, it's been in the trajectory uh, of who I am and what I do. But leadership to me has never been about leading. It's about building. And uh, it's been about working with teams and innovating and thinking differently and 
Um, and to me, it's like that, they, those are natural attributes of being a leader, uh, and should be. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of how I, how I've always looked at leadership. Yeah. Do you think that comes from those, uh, dinner table opportunities from when you were a kid and you know, seeing the sort of community leadership role that your parents played and making sure everybody in the community had, had what they needed to be yeah. successful? Yeah. There was always like, we can do more. We need to build more. We need to think bigger, right? So to me, it's it, in, to be in a leadership role, you have the ability and drive to be able to do that, right? And so I think that's why I've always, always, you know, kind of reached for opportunities to lead because I know with that power comes service and comes impact and comes transformation. Um, and so I don't take it lightly. It, it's a it's a position that's important to be able to make those changes. Yeah. What do you see as some of the most important decisions that you make as the leader at United Way? First and foremost is making sure that our team is okay. We lean very heavily into making sure that our team has what it needs. Now, if you think about our 211 staff in particularly, they're taking phone calls each and every day that are heavy, heavy, heavy. You think about this and you think about them. And so making sure that our team is okay, that they have the tools and resources that they need, that they know that we care about them as humans way more than we care about them as United Way of Rhode Island employees Mm -hmm. is incredibly, incredibly important uh, to us. And so first and foremost, it's, it's definitely our team. When you think about the hardest decisions you have to make, because uh, I think there's a distinction between most important and hardest, yeah, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, what kind of process do you use? What are some of the hard decisions that you face as a leader? You know, let's exclude the last 16 months where I feel like every <laughs> every right. decision was a hard one. You know, the hard decisions for me, the gut tends to lead you in a direction, mm-hmm. but. Um, I, I want to learn. I want to do. I want to understand it deeper uh, than just maybe what the actual ask is or what the decision needs to be. Um, you know, I lean heavily into colleagues and mentors and friends and who I you know trust and I know share the same values that I have as as a leader. And so you know, I spend I spend a lion's share of time really talking things through and thinking things through. Um, but as I think about hard decisions, I am always thinking about the human aspect of them. Um, how does this affect our team? How would this affect our community? Um, you know, yes, do I, as leader, think about what the implications might be to our brand and to all of that? No question. But how, how and what does this mean um, to our teammates and, and to the people that um, we work so hard to take care of. I think what the other other thing that's really important to me is that being able to justify my decision is really important. And so mm-hmm. I want to be able to feel with the utmost confidence that that decision is made because of blank, right? Um, and I have that answer um, and a confidence around that answer. Uh, and and also really spending a lot of time with my team to get their input. My see, you know, we were talking before we were, started recording about. COVID and all the various challenges as leaders we've had to face. And, um, you know, my team, my senior team is rock stars. I mean, that's a vast and understatement. They should have superhero capes on daily and, um, and their perspective means the world. And I will say my senior team rocks. And so I value their insights, their guidance. Um, and so when I think about, and I reach out to mentors and folks externally, I'm also reaching out to my senior team and saying, 
your opinion matters to me. Um, you know, what would you do? What are you thinking about right now? So um, after I kind of get that small consensus, um, being able to make a decision is easy because I feel like I've had the confidence to make it. Yeah, I think you talked about the need to justify a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such an important thing for leaders. I think about um, we have kids who are of similar age mm-hmm. and, and getting to an age where because I said so isn't enough anymore. <laughs> I know. Uh, and we laugh in our house that when the when the girls come to me to ask a question or and then I give them an answer and they're not happy with the answer and they inevitably go to well why and I say because I said so I spent all day making hard decisions right. I just accept that I don't have a good yeah. reason for you I just uh, want this to be the reason yeah. so there are times I you know we'll come home I'll come home from work and you know David will be like and he'll have a million questions to ask me and I'll just be like look at him go I need a minute number one and he'd be like what about dinner what about this I'm like I'm decisioned out. I've made the decisions. I can't make any more decisions. I'm going to eat whatever you put in front of me or wherever you take me. Um, but I'm decisioned out because you do. It gets, you get full. You Decision know? fatigue is real. It uh, really is. And I think during COVID, it was really real. Yeah. You know, because we were making lots of decisions as leaders of which we had mm, 10% of the information yeah. because we were going through this brand new world with everybody else. And, you know, we, we hold on to our values, right? We make those hard decisions with the values in mind, the corporate values, and then your leadership values. Um, but even that, sometimes you're like, I, this feels like the right one. And I've done as much due diligence as I can. And I just got to go. You have um, decision fatigue, but I think you also have decision paralysis, where oftentimes folks will, you know, just research and research and talk and talk and not do. And one of the things that, you know, I really pride myself on is, yes, we're going to do our due diligence, but that's not going to keep us from making a decision. We have to move forward because the, and my luckily working for the organization I do, I get to say, because the community needs us to move forward, right? The community can't allow us to sit still and sit idly by because there's too much happening. 400 families are being evicted every week right now. Like this is not something we can just, you know, hang and think and think and think and think about, but we do want to make sure we've thought enough that we feel like we can make, um, you know, an educated decision. Um, So that's really important too. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that separates good leaders from great leaders is Mm -hmm. that knowing when you have enough information or knowing even knowing that you might not always get enough information to make you feel 100% comfortable, but knowing when you've got enough information to, I think Jeff Bezos says, I need 80% so yeah. that I can get myself to yeah. make a decision. And yeah. and um, I think that's so important and overlooked sometimes because yeah. it is easy to just continue to analyze and analyze and analyze, but at a certain point, you just need to make a decision. You're never going to be 100% confident, but it's also making sure that your team feels that same level of 80%, right? Even if it's 70%, fine. But bringing folks together in those, especially the hard decisions, is um, is, is definitely important. Somebody once said to me, leaders are always looking over their shoulder, really afraid that one day somebody is going to realize that they're only like one step ahead, that, that, <laughs> that they're going to wake up and realize there's nothing special about it. And I think that there's definitely some truth to that in terms of, you know, we don't always know. You don't always have a net and you don't know how it's going to end up. But at a certain point, you have to trust the process and trust that you've done the due diligence and you can't let that 
desire to have it be perfect mm-hmm. stop you from actually moving forward. So I totally, mm-hmm. totally hear that. Mm-hmm. Courtney, who's somebody that you look up to or that you sort of put forth as an example of good leadership and why? You know, leadership, I would start with like kind of leadership science and theory. I'm a big podcaster, um, Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and, mm-hmm. and others. You know, this idea of vulnerable leadership, I think is um, incredibly important as as leaders. Um, when I started reading Brene's books, it, it felt like it was speaking to me. Um, but there's been a lot of leaders in my journey that I've learned good and bad from. I think you have to see both sides of leadership and understand that not everybody is perfect and you can learn from absolutely every experience that is put in front of you. Such a really important point, I think, that we take our leadership style from a whole lot of places. Mm -hmm. So I think I know the answer to this question based on what we've talked about a little bit earlier, but what do you see as the most important role for you as a leader? I think there's a number of things. I think one is I I do in the work that we're doing around um, building racial equity and opportunity. I want to be a a white woman who is an ally and a champion and break as many barriers as I can. I know that I can. My privilege serves a role Mm -hmm. and I want to use that privilege for good. I think the other thing is I want to support folks in as they're growing, um, as they're learning, as they're questioning. Um, as they're aspiring for whatever they, they might. I love to mentor. I mentor at Sophia Academy. I have an incredible seventh grader who keeps me on my toes um, on a regular basis. I love um, having conversations and debates uh, with folks as they're thinking about their growth, their aspirations, whatever that might look like. I want to ask the questions. Uh, you talked about supporting folks as they're growing. I'm a big believer that leadership exists at every level. It's not just at the top. It filters through an entire organization. So what advice would you give somebody looking to lead, regardless of the level they are within an organization or a community or anything else? Yeah, I say first and foremost, if you think that CEOs and presidents have all the answers, think again. So don't get intimidated by that. Keep striving up, knowing that you're going to learn as you go. Um, Ask the questions. Ask for that extra project or extra work to test your boundaries. Don't stay comfortable, I think, is probably the the key theme of that. The minute you're comfortable is the minute that you're complacent and the minute that you're not going to um, move the needle. You're absolutely right and true in the working world, but in personal life, too, that, you know, everything is has some risk to it. You're listening to Chutzpah, a Jewish roadie podcast. Now you're listening to us tell you what you're listening to. Would you rather hear your own business, publication, events, or product being featured in an ad spot just like this one? You can become a sponsor of Jewish roadie podcast and advertise with us. Don't miss a chance to be featured in Chutzpah or one of our upcoming series in a new way to advertise with Jewish roadie media. For more information, contact Peter Zeldin at P-Z-E-L-D-I-N at jewishallianceri.org. I'm a big believer that there's a ton to be learned from mistakes, from getting things wrong, from failure. Can you talk a little bit, if you're comfortable, about your biggest experience with that and what you took away from it? You know, I I would say there's been a number of, of leadership lessons, but there's a lot 
a lot of them came come back to um, stepping into roles that maybe I wasn't necessarily feeling like I was ready for, right? And so, you know, that confidence early on in your career when you, you sit back and go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know I can do this. But at the end of the day, that's that's where the growth happens, right? That's that's um, so for me, my leadership lessons have always been about that comfort level, but also about the curiosity. I think um, you know, there's a number of circumstances when I was at the American Heart Association National Center um, where I'd go and say, "I got this. I'll take this." And one in particular that comes to mind was I was running strategic partnerships. Uh, for the Heart Association, um, which was such a cool job. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get to work with partners on one of the best brands in the world and um, and extend the brands, extend the reach, you know. And so I remember one day I walked into the office and I had a meeting with the leadership from the Army National Guard and at, you know, their federal delegation. And next thing I know, there were these colonels, all kinds of brass were like walking into this office and I was like mesmerized by the mm-hmm. whole thing. And they said, you know, hey, uh, vast majority of our families and our guardsmen are having the same issues that civilian ha- have, and high blood pressure is one of them. And we'd love to work on a partnership with you, and blah blah blah. So it was great. I was super excited about it, and put together this great plan. I got all kinds of departments within the American Heart on board, and I remember sitting down with my boss at the time and presenting to her what this was, and uh, she sat back and said. Um, so they need to just, at the time we were at war and she's, you know, she's like, why don't they just concentrate on getting the soldiers back home and not worry about their high blood pressure? And I was like, well, so that's not why we're here. That's not what we do. I have no control over bringing these guys back home, but I do have control over helping them and their families through their high blood pressure challenges that they have. And she goes, I just don't feel good. I if you're going to do this, you have to do this on your time. I was like, fine. So I did. And so nights, weekends, all of it, um, I did on my time uh, and worked with the guard and ended up launching what was called the Decade of Health campaign, which is it was a 10-year campaign. Every year was focused on a different issue facing guardsmen, everything from dental health to mental health and well-being to, um, uh, to high blood pressure and obesity and challenges that their families might have, and it was a wild success. Um, and I won the Minuteman Award, which is the highest honor that uh, the Guard bestows on civilians. Wow. And I remember getting that award, and the you know this person was so excited for me, and blah blah blah. And I'm sitting back, going, "The hell are you excited about? Like you told me not to do this because of your political." opinions. You made me do this on my own time. Right. And so, you know, my, my leadership lesson from that, I learned a lot of things from what kind of leader I wanted to be in that situation. But, um, but I also, you know, that I had to, you have to put sometimes your perspectives aside for the betterment of the work. And, um, in that circumstance, in my opinion, she did not do that. And, um, and I did because I saw the work, I saw the need, I saw the belief, and um, and so my leadership lesson. Um, I have lots of leadership, but that was a, a main one for me. And I think also is um, 
you know, stick with it, stick with your gut. Um, I knew that this was really important. This was important to me personally, having family members who were in the military, but also um, because the data and information showed it was clearly important. Um, So when you walk into my office at United Way, the first thing you see is my Minuteman Award. Um, And it's something I'm exceptionally proud of. That's great. Yeah. So last question before the lightning round. What's the biggest lesson in leadership you've learned and how did you learn it? Hmm. I would say I've kind of grown into this lesson. You know, growing growing up and being in business and in nonprofits for as long as I have, um, self-care wasn't top. You know, uh, it was serving and supporting the community. It was working ungodly hours to um, help the people that I want to serve and want to support. And I think oftentimes as nonprofit leaders, we forget ourselves in the journey. And so one of the biggest lessons that I, and and I have had leaders um, who have not recognized that, right? Who have not recognized the importance of self-care, of um, self-preservation. And so what I've been, what I have learned through that journey is that I don't want to be that leader that doesn't focus on that. And so um, I am a leader who wants to lead by example. And you know how hard that is sometimes to say you're disconnected, even though you need to be connected, but you need to prove and show that it's okay to do that. Um, to take that step, to take that time away. And so, and you're, you're good in the long run and it's actually really good for you, but to show that uh, exercise matters and healthcare matters. And I proudly tell my team that I, um, I have been in therapy and been in therapy for a long time because I think everybody needs it and I'm a huge proponent of it, especially when you have a therapist for your mom that kind of yeah. contributes to it too. But yeah. like, but really trying to, help folks understand that you matter yeah and as um, incredible champions of the community that i am so blessed to lead Mm -hmm. uh, it is my job and my responsibility to make sure that they're also taking care of themselves in the process and and as community champions that's easier said than done we know this Um, but i it's been my lesson throughout my journey that i have to lead by example in that regard I'm glad you raised that because I think that that is such an under, it's not talked about enough, that important, uh, the, the importance of self-care for leaders, but also in leading by example. So choosing to leave at a reasonable hour because there are the people who won't leave until the boss leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the delayed send function on Microsoft Outlook has been a godsend to me. <laughs> Uh, because we don't always practice what we right. preach. There is this feeling that we need to be on right. all the time, that there could be a crisis or an emergency that we need to be available for. And um, really wanting to, even if I'm drafting an email at 9 p.m., not wanting to force somebody else to read an email at 9 p.m. Uh, I'm making a choice to do work at that time. I can't also make a choice for somebody else to have to do work at that time. And those things are I'm glad you raised it because it's a lesson that isn't taught enough. Yeah. So. And, and we need us here for the long haul. We got a lot of work to do and a lot of things to solve. And um, 
And so it's been, you know, we instilled wellness hours at United Way mm-hmm. for folks. Um, so Can you that, tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so wellness hours is two and a half hours every week um, that are pretty much free game. So if you need to use a half an hour every day to take your kids to school, do it. If you need to leave a little earlier on a Friday because you need wellness time, do it. Um, we have a staff member who... Um, you know, she's like, I'm on my wellness. I'm off to wellness. I'm like, okay. And so whatever it means to you, you take it. And so throughout COVID, we've had these wellness hours um, instilled and, and you can use them as you wish. And if you don't use them, we get it. These things happen and you don't get them from week to week, but you know, you use the next week's one or whatever works for you. And um, and so I've been purposely, you know, I, I cycle like you cycle. And so I will purposely say, hey, I'm going to be a little late today because I'm doing 20 miles or 25 miles. And so I've been, you know, we've been really trying to reinforce and and our senior team has been trying to reinforce the fact that folks, your wellness matters. We also um, have brought in a number of partners around stress management, um, meditation, other tools to help folks um, as they were taking all those really heavy phone calls. Um, We've brought in our employers um, assistance program for more tools. And so, um, you know, we're, our focus has been making sure that everybody's taken care of. That's great. Courtney Nicolato, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm afraid, but yeah, sure. Okay. Let's go. Favorite Jewish food? Oh, God. I mean, my my husband's lock is a pretty amazing. So uh, those are probably, but a good Kanesha like too. Favorite Jewish ritual or custom? Well, we just had my 13 year old's bar mitzvah and that was just an absolutely awesome experience. Bagel with locks or corned beef on rye? Oh God, those are both amazing. Um, but a good bagel with locks and capers, yes. Favorite Jewish holiday? You know, I really like I really like Passover. Favorite Yiddish word you like to slide into conversation? Well, schlep's a good one. Uh, kibitz is probably another one I use a lot. Do you like your kugel sweet or savory? Sweet. Quorum or Passover? I say Passover. If you could add one thing to the Seder plate, what would it be? My husband's lockers should be on everything. Name one celebrity you'd want to do the horror with. I just want to do it with my family. I don't need a celebrity. Okay. That's yeah. great. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, last question. Yeah. How do you spell Hanukkah? I do just the H. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Uh, Courtney Nicolato, it was such a wonderful treat to have you on the Chutzpah podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for imparting so much great wisdom and, and leadership stories and, and advice and just grateful to have you join us. Well, so thank I'm you. Th- more than thrilled to be here. And thank you. I appreciate everything that you're doing at the Jewish Alliance. Um, many folks may not know you're a United Way alum. And so um, uh, we're just really proud to partner and, and do the work that, and very proud of the work that y'all do. Thank you for listening to Chutzpah, a Jewish Roadie Media production. Today's episode was made possible by the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island and was edited and produced by Emma Newberry. Each of our in-person interviews is recorded at the Residential Properties Limited Studio at the Dwyer's JCC. Special thanks to Courtney for an insider's look into the nonprofit world. Tune in next time to hear from Andrew Bramson of the College Crusade of Rhode Island. In the meantime, you can follow us on Spotify and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Jewish Roadie's projects and hear more from our community, head to jewishroadie.com, 
where you can also find our social media. That's it for today. See you next time on Chutzpah.